You're listening to Switched On Australia, the podcast that tracks the opportunities and challenges of electrifying everything, everywhere. Switched On is brought to you by the publishers of Renew Economy, Australia's best informed, most read website focusing on the green energy transition and is supported by Boundless Earth, using philanthropy, investment and direct advocacy to help Australia become a global force in a decarbonised world. Hello and welcome to the Switched On Australia podcast. I'm Anne Delaney. Great you could join me. We've been focusing recently on what national and state governments and what individual householders can do to bring about an all-electric future. But today I thought we'd look at what can be done at the municipal level. Lots of local councils are showing what can be done for local communities. For instance, in New South Wales, where the state government has so far refused to ban new gas connections in homes and businesses, some councils are banning the connections themselves, and they're using their planning control regulations to do this. I've posted an article on the Switched On website about this, so check it out if you want to know more. But today, we're actually off to California, to the town of Lancaster, where the council has been using pretty much every power they have to make their town a net zero city. Lancaster is 100 kilometres northeast of Los Angeles, out in the Mojave Desert. And over the last 20 years, it's experienced explosive growth. It's gone from a small town to 165,000 people. In 2008, Lancaster voted in a Republican mayor, R. Rex Paris. The following year, they turned on their first solar farm. Since then, Mayor Paris has been re-elected four times. And under his watch, Lancaster has attracted solar farms to the town. They've launched a solar financing program for homes, businesses and non-profits established their own locally run energy company and also the first public bus company with 100% of their fleet electric buses. They've also made it compulsory for all new homes to have solar panels. They've put solar panels on all their municipal buildings and they've challenged the power of the private electricity utilities and bought back the town's streetlights from a private company because they refused to install LED light globes. The list actually goes on. More recently, the Lancaster Council has taken a stake in a company producing green hydrogen in the area. Mayor Paris is not without his critics from both the left and the right, but he keeps getting elected. So I started my chat with Rex Paris, wondering how a Republican mayor in a divided country has become a champion of electrification and a leading net zero warrior. Well, you know, when I initially got elected, I thought it was a communist Chinese plot to, you know, seize economic advantages, you know, climate change, the whole thing, because that that's what the, you know, the Republican mantra was, and I, I just believed it. But I met uh, a guy named Bill Gross, who runs Idea Lab, and he is a, you know, he's just an incredibly bright guy who came out of the dot-com era. Uh, made billions of dollars and then got into alternative energy The uh, and had dinner with him one night. And then I started studying it because he woke me up to it. And then I realized that if we didn't do something about this, my grandchildren weren't going to survive when they reached adulthood. And so we set out to fix it. 
Paris started trying to fix it by revising Lancaster's land use policies, their zoning codes and inspection processes to attract the development of solar farms. Interestingly enough, Lancaster can produce more electrons from the sun than anywhere else in the nation. And we had transmission lines because of the wind farms that were to the north of us. Uh, All of it coming together to make us the perfect place for solar. Because of our altitude, uh, our air quality, you know, we just have the best place to put solar. So you then encouraged the development of solar farms, I understand. It was concurrent with uh, the company came in and and showed us how we could convert all of the city facilities to uh, solar, solar panels. And because we're out in the desert, you know, they had the added benefit of you can cover your parking lots, which when the temperature gets 120 degrees, that's a really big deal. Yes. And so we worked with the school districts and we funded it and, uh, you know, we get paid back, uh, you know, on a monthly basis. Uh, but we put solar panels everywhere and all of the all of the city buildings and the schools in Lancaster were the first anywhere to be powered by solar. Uh, and uh, that got us going down the road, you know. And then, then in doing all of that, it, it became apparent to me that our, you know, our building codes and our, our way of doing a, a planning department, just the procedures that were in place, really made it difficult to convert over to alternative energy. So that, you know, one of the biggest things we did was just change that. You know, like it was taking six months to put solar panels on your roof. And so I sent an email. From now on, I want it to take 45 minutes. Now it takes 45 <laughs> minutes. What was the holdup before? Why, why did it take six months? You know, it's bureaucracy. It's, it's hard for me to articulate the reason. But as soon as you let people know what was expected of them, they performed. Tell me, what exactly did you change in those building codes? What else did you change? I didn't change anything. I just told them to do it quicker, you know. I mean, first of all, the building department, building and safety people, they didn't know anything about solar. You know, I mean, they, they, the, the, the companies knew about it. And we have, you know, a, a tort system in this country that if they do it wrong, they're going to be liable for it. You know, nobody's been sued for it yet, to my knowledge. And we've been doing it now for 10 years. Uh, you know, we really... Uh, Almost all of it, I think, was installed by union labor, uh, the IBEW, and and those people are well trained. They're certainly more t- well trained than my my building inspectors, right? Uh, it it's just a lot of it was just using common sense, and uh, but that got us going down the path. And in the interim, you know, I'm trying to bring jobs to to Lancaster, so I'm going to China, I'm going to Saudi Arabia, I'm going everywhere. Uh, all around alternative energy. And long story short, after numerous trips, we brought BYD to Lancaster, which is now the largest electric bus manufacturer in in, uh, North America. Uh, Here in Lancaster, brought in over a thousand jobs. And interestingly enough, our transportation agency was the first one to convert to all electric buses. 
And we are also the only transportation agency in America that it makes money, well, turns a profit. It, it, you know, everything so far has been really good with it. We started our own power company to buy and sell the power and we buy green energy and it's cheaper than the Southern California Edison rates. So much cheaper that they pass legislation so that we have to ch charge more, uh, but it's still considerably cheaper. You're forced to charge more? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's how you see the billing goes through Edison and it's what they charge. You know, we don't charge directly to the customer. But, you know, everything, everything we do trying to convert to alternative energy is resisted by the utilities. I mean, there's just no denying that. We're, you know, we, one of the things I did very early into my, my uh, term was I called a meeting together of KB Homes, which is America's largest home builder, and BYD. And, uh, you know, whenever I learned very soon that when you're the mayor, you call a meeting, people actually come to it, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I had this meeting down in the boardroom of KB Homes, and I asked them to build us a an affordable net zero home, a home that would capture the, the solar energy, convert it to electricity, uh, and be totally independent of the grid. And, and they'd have to store it with batteries. And they, you know, I've got all these engineers at the table and they're saying, can't be done. I mean, you can do it, but it's gonna cost millions of dollars. It can't be done. And so I said, well, what, what would you take to get you to try to do it? You know, well, what about, you know, permit fees? So I waived all permit fees, which is considerable these days when you build a house. But their biggest concern was how long would it take to get approvals, you know? would it, take to get the permits. And so I, I looked at my watch and I said, how long do you want it to take? Yeah, we issued the permits. And uh, it was enough encouragement that four months later, we flipped the switch on a house that was totally net zero, been operating now for 11 years. They have no electric bill whatsoever other than a charge Edison makes, you know, by law, they have to connect to the grid. We're eventually gonna change that. Right now, they have a very small bill they have to pay for that connect fee. We then passed an ordinance that every house built in Lancaster has to be net zero. You have to produce enough electricity to run your house and store it at night, you know? Uh, and now all of our homes are that way. And the state of California took our ordinance and is making it state law, I think, in a year or two years. But that was something that couldn't be done. And they did it in six months. That was just new homes. That's new homes. For existing homes, we just started a program with Tesla where they will come in and install the solar panels. They will install the batteries and guarantee your monthly payment for, for uh, 20 years, guarantee the product for 20 years, and your electric bill will never go up. And it will be cheaper than what you're paying today. Uh, I can't give you the exact percentage, but it's significantly cheaper uh, and it's guaranteed. And that was a deal that you struck directly with Tesla? Yes, it is. So that's a municipal deal with Tesla to, to bring in that service? Well, Tesla is going to expand it nationwide. But, you know, the, the energy companies, the alternative energy companies like to do business with Lancaster because they don't have to sit around doing nothing for years. I mean, we, we fast track it all.
So you're kind of seen as a bit of a pilot or a test pig, so to speak, for some of the some of the initiatives, the clean energy initiatives. Yeah, I would say that's accurate. You mentioned that at every stage the utilities have resisted. Is that why you launched your own utility? It was impossible to deal with them at all. So yes, uh, there was a there was a law in the books that you know no, no city had used. And it was to make a community choice aggregate, it's called. And so we figured out how to do it. I and mean, we didn't know how to do this stuff. We, we just went and figured out how to do it. We opened our own community choice aggregate. Now we have uh, 10 other cities that use us to run their community choice aggregate. And so when you talk about that resistance from the utilities, what exactly did they do? Did they just say, no, we can't do that? Or they would charge astronomical amounts of money? No, 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 no. It was quite a bit more than that. I used to be the keynote speaker all over the country, all over the world, actually. Uh, you know, I've been to Australia to be the keynote speaker at an energy conference. I've been to uh, Abu Dhabi, uh, Dubai, uh, China, you know, and but in California, especially, you know, whenever you had an energy conference, you'd, I, I would I would be invited in to speak. One day I'm getting on a plane to go speak. And we get a call saying they took me off the program. And they took me off the program because Semper Energy, which owns Southern California Gas, was going to withdraw their sponsorship. And that's what these companies have done now. Most of the energy conferences are sponsored by the utilities, and they are dictating the agenda, or at least modifying the agenda. And this was the same year the EPA named me the Green Power Leader for the nation. Uh, it, it, you know, they're just trying to to quiet. They don't want anybody knowing knowing what's really going on. I mean, it's it's quite a bit cheaper to produce the power the way the way we're doing it. It and it makes sense. I mean, it costs a lot of money to drill twenty thousand feet into the earth to get to get uh, dirty oil and then clean it up and use it. You, you follow me? Yeah. I mean, the sun gives you all the energy you want and it's free. All you got to do is put in the infrastructure. You've talked about resistance from utilities. What about the, the community? How have people living in Lancaster responded to all these initiatives and changes that you've brought about? Well, initially there was a vocal opposition. You know, I don't, I, I, I've always won with over 65% of the vote, sometimes as high as 80. Uh, but you know, there is uh, there was opposition until people saw that it was cheaper. You know, an example was the streetlights. I asked Southern California Edison to convert the streetlights to uh, LED lights. You know, this is 10 years ago. And uh, they refused. You know, just wouldn't wouldn't hear of it. So they said, we, you know, we don't know what it'll do to the grid, blah, blah, blah. They had a thousand excuses. So I kind of indicated to them, well, no, I just out and out said it. I asked our our, uh, our public works director, I said, can we red tag their power poles? <laughs> <laughs> red tag means we cut them off. <laughs> In case you missed what Rex meant by red tag, he basically threatened Edison that he'd force them to sell off the streetlights if they didn't install LED lights. And this is in a room with vice presidents from, you know, Southern California Edison. And he was really, he's really, was he's kind of a nerdy guy, you know, and uh, uh, kind of shy, and but he's thinking. You can see him thinking. It took him about uh, 
two minutes, which is a long time when you're waiting for somebody to answer a question. And finally he goes, yeah, we can. (laughs) So they agreed to sell me their streetlights. We bought the streetlights and they were charging us $90 a pole for maintenance costs, right? For each pole, we were able to buy the streetlights. How many poles did you have? Over 10,000 poles. I mean, they were making a fortune off us and, they, and presumably doing it to other cities too. Uh, I mean, maintenance on a, on a street light really isn't all that difficult. And especially when you go to LED because the LED light bulbs don't burn out. But anyway, to make a long story short, they sold them to us. We converted all of them within a couple of months. The city to the south, Palmdale did the same thing. And uh, then they passed an ordinance that you can't buy the street lights. <laughs> Have you calculated how much money the city has saved with this transition and how much consumers also save? No, I really haven't. It's pretty complex, you know, uh, but I know it's in the millions and millions of dollars. You know, we've gone, we went through COVID. And our city is financially so secure, uh, it's shocking. You know, like I said, our transportation agency, the only one that makes a profit. Money is not a, is not a real issue for us now. What my goal is in the next term is to double the budget without uh, raising taxes at all. How do you plan to do that? Well, every one of these companies that come in, you know, not in the future, we we develop a plan where we, rather than just give them stuff, you know, incentives to come in, we buy a piece of the company with those incentives. It's really no net cost to us, but we now will own a piece of these companies, like the hydrogen power plant, where you have 5% of that, the one with the the, uh, plasma torches, that's a billion dollar facility. If you're willing to look beyond the normal boundaries of government and get real creative, you know, it's not like they don't want to give us 5%. They do. They do. They'd much rather have us mm. partner, you know. Well, what sort of incentives have helped you do the transition? Because in California, you, you've had some incentives. I think it's the, it's the PACE scheme. And now Biden has introduced the Inflation Reduction Act. Are all of those sorts of financing um, initiatives, are they crucial to what you've been able to achieve at a municipal level? They're going to be. They're going to be. Uh, And, you know, certainly, you know, the incentives for the electric cars, that, that encourages people to buy them, which, you know, makes the the ability to put in the charging stations you know there's all that stuff but up until now i i don't see a huge impact from incentives but the uh reduction act that's going to fund our hydrogen i think and it's going to take that you know we, we have a partnership with japan now and uh but the city's putting a lot of its own money into that what about when you first started and, you know, you had, um, when you required, for instance, that, you know, all new homes had to install solar, that's a cost impost on, on homeowners. How, how did they actually afford it? Well, it's the developer. It's the cost problem. 
the people who buy those homes are able to buy a much better home, meaning a more expensive home. Because when you when you buy a house, it's like buying a car. You're not all that concerned about the total cost. You're concerned about the monthly payment. You know, so when you take out the electric bill and what KB is now doing, we call it the 2.0 version, they've been able to reduce gas by a third and water by a third. And when you take the savings that you're now getting and putting into the payment of the house, paying another $40,000 is not a big deal. But did you have any financial assistance for any initiatives at all for, say, low-income earners? The problem we're having with low-income, and although the state seems to be dealing with that in the new rate structure from the PUC, is most low-income folks, they're uh, renting their house. And now the business model of renting housing in, in the United States is such that the person building the house has no incentive mm. whatsoever to be concerned about putting in alternative energy or, or uh, making an energy efficient home because the tenant pays the electric bill, the tenant pays the gas bill, you mm. know, the landlord doesn't. And probably the biggest impediment to, to converting over to an alternative energy economy is that business model. So what are you doing about that in Lancaster? What can you do about that in Lancaster? You know, there, there's not a lot because of the state laws about it. But, you know, the, the, uh, it's not difficult, especially the way most housing is, you know, rental housing now is owned by major corporations. It's not difficult to figure out what your monthly cost for power is going to be and amortize it into the rent. You know, it just isn't. There's no reason not to do it that way. And what we really should be looking at is giving them a certain period of time to do whatever conversion they need to do and make the landlord responsible for the utilities. And, you know, they add it to the rent. But, you know, make, make no mistake, there's there's probably no industry worse than the, the utilities and what they do to the American public. You know, we, in L.A., they raise the... Uh, uh, minimum wage to $20, which is a an, af an affordable way. I mean, a, uh, a living wage, right? It lasted two months because what immediately happened is the landlords and the utilities raised their rates mm -hmm. through the roof. And all that money was sucked out within two months, within two months. I mean, the, the first thing we really should do is we should re book the licenses of the public utilities and make them public, owned by the public. And then you could make, you know, right now they have guaranteed profits. And look what they do, you know, like PG&E, they pled guilty to over a hundred homicides or misdemeanor manslaughters that still people died because of their criminal act. Nobody's gone to jail. Nothing's really changed. When, when was this? Tell me what happened there. It's been happening for the last 10 years, you know, every time they one of their pipelines blows up and kills a bunch of people or or the fires take off because they didn't take care of their lines. I mean, it, it's it's endless, but they're guaranteed a huge profit because they're, you know, PUC lets them raise the rates to guarantee that profit.
And, the, you know, the Public Utilities Commission in California, we couldn't have a more captive agency by the by the industry. One one of the members was a lobbyist for one of the oil companies. I mean, mm-hmm. how do you put somebody like that on the Public Utilities Commission? You know, it sounds insane. It is insane because it will result in the well, it's already resulting in the death of people. You know, there used to be 26 pristine aquifers in the San Joaquin Valley, and that's where our breadbasket is. There's now four because 22 of them have been contaminated by the oil industry to the point that you can't grow crops with them, let alone you can't drink them. How do you deal with the utilities in that case, Rex? I mean, with all of these things that you've had to do, how do you deal with them? Because you're still connected to the main southern grid, aren't you, in, in, in Southern California? Yes. Yeah, I think they'd cut me off if they could. <laughs> uh, the, uh, although, interestingly enough, now, you know, I was also one of the lead attorneys on the Aliso Canyon gas well blowout that Sempra paid $1.8 billion to settle. Uh, so, you know, they really don't love me. But they have come to Lancaster to start their pilot project of putting 20% hydrogen into the gas lines because they know that when it comes to alternative energy, it's going to be so much cheaper working with us. Why, why don't you just disconnect from the, the main grid in California? Why, did, why haven't you done that? We don't have the ability to power all the houses and uh, buildings yet. Now, ultimately, what we're aiming towards is using hydrogen fuel cells to start disconnecting from the grid. So at the, at the moment, you can't power all the, what, the growing number of electrical appliances that you have. I mean, if everyone in Lancaster got an electric vehicle, for instance, would you have enough electricity? No, no. Although we, I think we need 100 megawatt. I mean, just I'm probably totally wrong on these figures, but I think it's 100 megawatts for Lancaster and we're, when we're producing well over 140 megawatts. So. You know, we're, we, we produce more electricity from the sun than we use. Uh, I guess, you know, we don't have the battery storage for it yet. That's why hydrogen, hydrogen is just a chemical battery that, that's reliable. But you've decided to, to opt for hydrogen as opposed to what, building a big, bat, you know, some big batteries? Uh, batteries at best are a stop, you know, it's a bridge. It's a bridge to a hydrogen economy because they have their own problems, you know, they're expensive, they, there's uh, environmental costs in mining the lithium, there's a lot, of, a lot of downside with it. It's much better than oil and gas, but it, it still has downsides. You know, it's always been the plan that, we would, that it's gonna to go to hydrogen. So you always saw that there was a, a limitation to solar and wind and that you that hydrogen would have to service some of those industries and some of those purposes in in Lancaster. Well, I didn't always know that. I mean, that, that's only in the last three, three and a half years that the technology has evolved to the point that it's doable. You know, the, the, there is a solution to the extinction of our species, and make no mistake, that is exactly what will happen. Right now, there's enough carbon in the atmosphere, enough CO2 up there, and enough methane up there, 
that if we do nothing, if we just maintain the levels today, we're all going to go extinct. That's the truth of it. You know, what's happening is, is, is the oceans are warming. Once they warm, it'll take a thousand years for them to cool. But the oceans are the heat sink to the planet. Uh, it's not just that we have to lower how much we're putting into the, into the air. We have to dial it way back. And we have to dial it way back now. You're listening to the Switched On Australia podcast. And my guest today is R. Rex Paris, the Republican mayor of Lancaster in California for the last 14 years, who's been leading the town's net zero and electrification journey. To try and bypass resistance from the energy utilities, Lancaster is now building more microgrids. New housing developments are being connected to solar farms and municipal buildings will all soon be on their own microgrids. The city hall will have to be a microgrid by the, hopefully, the end of the year. And what that will be is, you know, we already run it off of solar panels, but we're, we're installing a battery and, and a hydrogen fuel cell, and it'll be totally self-contained. We, don't, we will not need to be on the grid at all. The new hospital we're building is the same thing. Mm. It will be totally off the grid. Uh, the uh, fairgrounds, we're taking them off the grid, uh, and they'll have their own microgrid. Now, look at the resiliency that gives you. You have an earthquake, your whole city's not going to go down. Yeah. You know? Who's going to be left on the grid then? Well, that's, you know, that's the question, isn't it? As, as more and more people disconnect, and as more and more people use alternative energy, the rates that Edison is collecting and PG&E are collecting are dropping. And, and so what they keep trying to do is, is tax us for doing that, essentially, you know, to charge people for doing that. And rather than just recognizing, look, let's do, what, let's do the investment now and become a green economy. Because we have the technology to do it, we can bond it and it'll be amortized, you know, for the next 30 years. We have the ability to do it and we will be paying less money every month. And ultimately, isn't that the concern? A lot less money. But, you know, I, one of the things that got me uh, pushed off of some of the speaker circuits was if I point out that the executives in the utilities and in the oil industry they make a fortune and they make a fortune because they can predict the future in that industry. They have so much experience, you know, with gas and oil and all. They have a pretty good ability to predict what tomorrow's going to bring. But they have no ability to do that with, with green technology or with hydrogen or with batteries. They don't have any experience with those things. And so they have become antiquated. They become redundant. There's no reason to keep those guys around. And they know it. So they fight with everything they can. Is part of the reason that you are now pushing into green renewable hydrogen, is that because you can bypass some of the utilities? <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> you know, I, I, that was not the reason, but it's certainly a, uh, it's the icing on the cake. Is the PNC does not regulate hydrogen. You know, and so the, the reach of the oil industry is very limited in controlling it. 
in fact, I think most of the reg regulations are going to be written by us because we're the first ones using it. Right. Uh, we've already touched on it, but the attitudes of the, the community in now, now that you've brought them this far, what are their attitudes towards what you've done with the energy transition and, and now the push into hydrogen? The, you know, the opposition to it is whispered, whereas before it used to be shouted. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, what, the first time I gave a speech to the Chamber of Commerce, our, the congressman at the time was there. You know, and I'm explaining all of the ramifications of, of climate extinction. And he said in a stage whisper so the whole room could hear bullshit. <laughs> He's no longer the congressman. He lost his election. And people aren't buying that anymore. You know, and uh, I'm a Republican and I, and I have grave concerns about the survivability of the party because young people, it's their future they know is on the table and that they're losing because of, the, of climate extension. The last major Republican event I went to was, was two weeks ago in Washington, D.C., multiple congressmen there. And but everybody looked like me. I'm 71. You know? Where were the young people? Where were the where's the future of the party? I'm talking where, where's a 40 year old? You know, they're driving people with common sense elsewhere. Why are you still a Republican then, Rex? Well, I believe in a lot of Republican principles. I believe that any time I walk out of my front door, I should be safe. You know, I don't believe in defunding the police. I, I, uh, I believe that there, we should have a capitalist economy. Uh, the, uh, but I'm just a moderate Republican. You know, I, 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 I do think that, uh, that the goal, role of government is to provide for the health and safety of the people. The nation's leadership mm. is becoming polarized. The nation's not. You know, basically, we all want the same things. Are there any other Republicans that are doing what you're doing? Yeah, they're starting to come over. Uh, but if, if you're a Republican in Congress or the Senate, the, the oil companies come after you. And you don't stay in office very long. So they whisper it. You know, I'm just a mayor of a, of a small town. They never expected or even gave it a thought. You know, if they had it to do over again, they would have done the same thing in regards to my elections. So do you, do you think you, you went under the, the radar because you were, you're at the municipal level, you're not at state or national level? Yeah, that was, yeah, that, that's accurate. Except they, uh, they're starting to wake up to the fact that President Biden does not issue building permits. I do. They're starting to wake up that they have to control the agenda of the municipal government. Now, can they? I don't know. I don't know. It sounds like it's too late, though, for them to control it in Lancaster. Well, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, I found it interesting. They had to come to me to, to do their, their hydrogen plan. Uh, <laughs> I bet that hurt. <laughs> <You know? laughs> So what's Rex Paris's advice to councils in Australia wanting to embrace a similar electrification journey?
Well, it's not that difficult. Give me a call. We'll give you all of our templates. You know, if if the if the local government wants to do it, we can show you how to do it. it it's really not hard. You know, it's off the shelf technology now. The biggest issue is going to be electing people that understand it is their job to save your grandchildren's life. Because that's what it is. As hard as it is to accept that fact, the last time there was this much CO2 in the environment, there were alligators in northern Canada. That ocean is warming. As it continues to warm, it's going to get worse and worse. And Australia knows that. I mean, the fires you went through were just, you know, it made California look like a, a, a marshmallow roast. Well, maybe not that, but it was far worse than what we experienced in California. And we can't believe what we're experiencing. You know, I, can, can they breathe in New York yet? You know, from the Canada fires? The, how much evidence do people need? And if they're not electing local government that has a plan to make their towns and cities green energy, the people aren't doing the, the, the job. But yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to, to, I mean, the internet has corrupted the news so much that it's hard to get accurate information out to anybody. So would your advice be for communities to start local and stay local? It's going to be soft local. You know, because that's where the building takes place. That's where the the uh, that's where people live. They live locally. You need a national government that will give the make the funding available. You know, in the form of grants and things of that nature, to to hasten it. But you know, I mean, in in, in Lancaster, the reason it's so simple is because there's no other option. You know, we don't give people a choice when these developers come in and want to build. We set the rules. The, in, in converting to green energy, it just makes economic sense. It's so much cheaper that people do it. Rex Paris, thank you for joining the Switched On podcast today. Thank you for having me. Let's uh, let's do this again if we're still here. <laughs> well, let's hope we'll all still be here. Uh, Rex Paris is the mayor of Lancaster in Southern California. That's it for this episode of the Switched On podcast. Don't forget to check out some of our previous episodes. And if you have any suggestions for people you'd like to hear on the podcast or stories you'd like to read on the website, give me a hoy at switchedon at renewaconomy.com.au. I'm Anne Delaney. See you next time. Switched On.